Hi, darling. My name is Chelsea Fairless. And I'm Nomi Garoni. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> and clearly we are doing a film near and dear to our hearts, which is Showgirls. I'm so excited to talk about this movie with you, which is why I have brought some brown rice, some vegetables, and some cocaine for us to enjoy. Oh, that's weird. I brought <laughs> press-on ta- talon nails and puppy chow. <laughs> Obviously, we love this film, but do you realize that we would not be friends without this movie? Oh, I forgot about that. That's so funny. Which is, for the Lauren and Chelsea heads out there, this is integral to us becoming friends and eventually setting us on the path of starting the podcast, which is I saw Chelsea from afar. Wow, this is getting into like a stalkery <laughs> territory. But Chelsea was a very cool person. And I would see you in our in our lounge and I was like, oh man, I'd love to be your friend. But like, she wouldn't want to be friends with me. She's so cool. In our lounge in college. Yes. Like this student lounge. Let's be honest. It was Parsons. It was a, a room that was defined as a lounge. But a friend of ours didn't understand the concept of camp. And you were trying to explain to her the idea of camp through the film Showgirls. And I was like, now's my time. And I butted into the conversation. And that was the first conversation you and I ever had. And we've been friends ever since. (laughs) It is a very special movie, but not one that everyone likes, right? There's there's two types of people in this world. And it is people that love showgirls and people that hate showgirls. And if you hate showgirls, I kind of get it. Like, it obviously is a film that merits a bit of criticism. But if you love showgirls, it means that you do have a true appreciation for camp, as well as a slightly demented worldview, which obviously we both have but i do wonder how many people who are listening to this episode have never seen showgirls but understand what it represents i'm sure a lot of people understand what it represents yeah i thought a good way to maybe kick off the podcast is explaining even how this film came to be because i think to understand its campiness you need to understand how this film even got greenlit. Yes, go for it. Thank you. Which is... Imagine if I didn't let you tell your little story. (laughs) I I would just be talking over you the entire podcast. Okay, go for it. The film is written by Joe Esterhouse. It is directed by Paul Verhoeven. They are just coming off of the film Basic Instinct, which makes all of the money. And it is seen as this transgressive erotic thriller, which it is, although going back and having semi-recently watched Basic Instinct, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But that is a different podcast. So they are given what is called a blank check in Hollywood, which is whatever you want to make next. And Joe Esterhouse has this idea of trying to tell a story of Hollywood and the hypocrisy of it through the idea of Vegas showgirls. And allegedly he does all this research, which there's an article that comes out after showgirls where the women that were allegedly interviewed were like, our stories are not represented in this movie. What do you mean? Like he interviewed sex workers and stuff? Sex workers, showgirls, what have you. These stories that he cobbled together, his vision of a gritty story. Paul Verhoeven gets the script and goes, I don't want to do this movie at all. He wants to do a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger for a company called Coralco. And Coralco is like, well, we can't make this movie we're already making called Cutthroat Island, which is a movie with Gina Davis. 
mm-hmm. uh, directed by her husband at the time, Rennie Harlan, and this Arnold Schwarzenegger film, but we will make Showgirls for you. And Verhoeven's like, fuck, fine, I'll do it, but Esther House, you need to rewrite it as this all about Eve-esque movie. And so they do, and this is what becomes Showgirls. So you have Joe Esterhouse wanting to tell this gritty tale. You have Verhoeven wanting to make his version of All About Eve. But also, Paul Verhoeven, with all of his work, is a satirist. And there is a reason why the nudity and sex is gross in this movie, is he doesn't want it to be sexy. So that's another big tension that aids to the campiness of the film. Yeah, but thank God for that All About Eve note, because I cannot imagine this film without that influence. Well, Verhoeven later said of the movie that they should have amped up the thriller element and there should have been a murder mystery plot somewhere in the movie. Yeah, agree, because really this whole movie is just Gina Gershon's character, Crystal, being like, you're a fucking whore, and Nomi being like, I'm not a whore. Like, that's kind of all that happens. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of dramatic drive. Yeah, there's not a lot of plot. Like, it's just kind of this twisted dynamic between these two women. Oh, I'm also remembering the other thing is Verhoeven said to Esther House, he's like, I want to make my own version of a Busby Berkeley MGM film. Okay, well, Goddess (laughs) is a pretty incredible spectacle, I will say. I wouldn't say it's on a Busby Berkeley level by any stretch of the imagination, but it is lavish and sort of visually satisfying in its own way. Absolutely. So when was the first time you saw Showgirls? Do you remember? I rented it on VHS. Like, I think when I was in like high school or something. Yeah, I always liked it. I was a fan from the get-go. Yeah, I definitely caught this film on cable at some point and always loved it. Just really dug the tone of it. Loved the unintentional comedy aspect of it. Totally. I was also fascinated to learn that while it only grossed $37 million at the box office and was considered a failure, it grossed $100 million from video rentals. Like, that's incredible. Incredible, but of course it did because it was NC-17 and that was one thing that made it unique for a film by, I guess, a director of this caliber. While the film was a flop, it is technically the highest grossing NC-17 film and then... Take that, Stanley Kubrick. It did bring down the studio, Coralco, who financed the film, but would ultimately, yeah, be a huge success on DVD and video. I love that the Wikipedia defines this film as an erotic pulp noir comedy drama. I don't think the comedy was intentional. Absolutely not. And that is a big element of camp, which was always my point about at least the red carpet aspect of the camp Met Gala, which is... There's something about, you can't engineer campiness, right? There's something about earnestness. Well, there's a big difference between contrived camp and I don't want to say authentic camp, but because I think you can manufacture camp, like Ryan Murphy has made an entire career of doing that, but it doesn't hit in the same way. No, and a lot of camp comes from things that are technically dramas that just come out comedies. Yeah, It's the same way with The Room. It's the same way with Showgirls. Also a huge aspect of camp classics are the makers of the piece afterwards, once it's been claimed as a cult classic, being like, oh yeah, we always intended it to be a comedy. It's like, no, you didn't. (laughs) It's okay, but no, you didn't. 
We should also note that this film won seven Razzies, a record at the time. And also, which is the power move, Paul Verhoeven turned up in person to accept the worst director and worst picture. That is amazing. If I was a celebrity, I would do that for sure. Yeah, Halle Berry did that when she won. I think it was the same year, the year previous she had won an Oscar, and then the following year she won a Razzie for Catwoman and she showed up. Nice. Classy broad, that one. Okay, one last thing before we get into the film. Can we talk about the actresses that turned down the role of Nomi Malone. Oh, well, we need to, I think, begin with the fact that when Joe Asterhouse and Paul Verhoeven envisioned the film, they envisioned Madonna as Crystal Connors and Drew Barrymore as Nomi Malone. Which is insane. But apparently uh, the role of Nomi was also rejected by Pamela Anderson, Angelina Jolie. Imagine that movie. Like, that might have actually been a good movie. Uh, Jenny McCarthy, Denise Richards, and Charlize Theron. I read an IMDb trivia thing where Jenny McCarthy had the role until they learned that she couldn't actually dance. And then they were like, oops, (laughs) no, thank you. Well, that's a fun thing about Elizabeth Berkley is that terrible actress, incredible stripper. Is she a terrible actress because Paul Verhoeven would later admit after ruining Elizabeth Berkley's career that he told her to act like that on screen? Well, the director is, yeah, equally at fault, of course. I think the campiest thing about Showgirls is that throughout this film, Elizabeth Berkley is at a 10 and everyone else is at a 5. So that immediately creates just like this bizarre tension. Also, because I do think that there's a lot of people who are going to be listening to this episode who, again, know the lore of Showgirls, don't know what it is, Also, having watched it and realized there's not much story to this, how would you even describe what Showgirls is, plot-wise? Like, what's the plot of Showgirls? It's just all about Eve, but with strippers. There you go. We're sorry that we had to cut that off, but if you like what you just heard and want to listen to the full episode, go to patreon.com slash everyoutfit. 